Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. It's early spring here in Minnesota, or late winter. Tomorrow actually kicks off our spring turkey hunting season, and in a couple weeks, we will be uh, helping backcountry hunters and anglers, the University of Minnesota chapter, host a mentored turkey hunt, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that I can get out in the woods a little bit this spring, and I hope you are too, and maybe getting out to do a little bit of fishing. Steelhead are starting to run up on the North Shore here in Minnesota, so that's something else that is on my list. But uh, today's conversation is is a bit of a unique one. It's a little different from the typical. Um, it was actually recorded back this last fall, right before Thanksgiving. And uh, it's a conversation I had with John Norman. Uh, John lives in the state of Washington. Uh, he's in his mid-30s. Um, and he gives a little bit of background. I ask him some questions about his, his youth growing up, and you'll understand why that's good context here um, when you hear his story. Um, when he was young, he was, he was adopted, and one of the things that he knew about his biological parents is that there was substance abuse that went on there. And um, you know, as a teenager, John did not drink. But at 22, he decided to take his first drink, and that resulted in a steady path to a lifestyle centered around booze, blackouts, fights, and eventually a situation where he knew he was going to very likely lose his marriage and his kids if he didn't change something. And the final straw for him was an evening when his son witnessed him in a drunken stupor picking a fight with another family member. He stopped drinking at that point, and he started hunting. He did not grow up hunting. He created something, uh, an Instagram account called The Sober Hunter, uh, to keep him honest on it. And hunting... Uh, has been a big part of his life ever since. And this was just recently, and you'll you'll hear him talk about the timeline in there. But uh, I stumbled across his Instagram profile, The Sober Hunter, uh, a few years ago when he started it. And he and I connected, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate his story and what he has done to really turn his life around and hunting is a big part of that and that's what's pretty cool and I think it's something where obviously it isn't for everyone and I think you know everybody's got to go down a different path if they have some type of an addiction or a substance abuse issue but John has used hunting as one of his if you will his tools to really shift the focus of his life and so he's going to share that story with you and I want you to also make sure you check him out on Instagram, The Sober Hunter. And here's the conversation with John Norman. Hey everyone, today I am joined by John Norman. And uh, John's going to share his personal story with us today uh, on, his, on his hunting journey. And it's got a sort of a, a long um, 
preface to it in terms of who he is and, and what he's done. And so I want him to talk, talk about that and share that with everyone. Uh, John, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm, I'm hanging in there. We're, we're on the other side of the hunting season and getting ready for ice fishing here in Minnesota. Oh, awesome. So you are in Washington State, correct? I am. I'm dead center of Washington State. And so share with me, I've been out, actually, as I told you, I, uh, my, my best friend from childhood lives out in eastern Washington. So I've driven through central, but I mean, is that is that big ag area or are you like? Uh, yep. yep, we're kind of where I live, we're on the plateaus where it flattens out and you're just right along Highway 2 and there's wheat fields and sagebrush. Okay. And from where you were referring to, I'm probably about an hour and a half to two hours. Away gotcha. From that. Gotcha. So are you in the same vicinity where you grew up or? No, no. I grew up in North Bend, Washington, which is, which was a small farming town uh, just outside of Seattle. Okay. The, in the foothills of the Cascades. And then I moved to Waterville probably four, four and a half years ago. Job take you there or what? Uh, nope. what? Uh, my best friend, my cousin, Nathan, he lives here with his family and we wanted to raise our kids together. So we decided to move and start roots here. That's great. So that, I mean, that area that you grew up sounds like a beautiful area too. Mm-hmm. Lots of hiking, lots of fishing. Uh, it's pretty neat. It's really pretty. Yeah. So did you, when you were growing up there, I mean, how would you characterize you know, uh, your childhood, um, you know, did you, what are, what are the types of things you were into? Growing up, um, we were homeschooled, so we didn't, we weren't part of the school program per se, but we did band, uh, instruments, drumming. I was really into reading about trappers like Jim Bridger, uh, Boone. And so I kind of idolized them as a kid and, I'd have my mom stop and pick up roadkill. So it's pretty outdoorsy. We'd go hiking a lot and uh, stuff like that. So did you, did you actually uh, do trapping when you were a kid? I did not. My uncle did uh, as a profession, a living. And so I'd talk to him and just listen to stories. But I was really, I romanticized the being out in the wilderness and, you know, going on adventures. So what did you what what did you play? Uh, what in- instruments did you play in band? Did you? Say? I played the drum set. Drum so set. We took okay. like music classes, and my brothers, you know, played violin and piano. Have you have you stuck with the music or or not? I I have not. I have not. Okay. Okay. So um, you know, you were homeschooled. Did you were you homeschooled all the way through high school or? I was. Yep. I was. And, and did you, after that, did you go on to college or did you go right out in the working world or what, what did you do? So after that, I kind of went out in the working world, worked some warehouse jobs. Uh, and then I went to a technical college, Renton Technical College, and did their band instrument program, which is where you learn how to repair musical instruments. And I did that for four or five years um, before moving over here and starting my new job. Okay. Okay. So like that band instrument or the instrument is like, like all kinds of instruments from brass to woodwinds to yep. percussive. Brass, to- brass, woodwind, a little bit of like violin and cello repair, but mainly brass and woodwind. Would you ever do guitars out of curiosity or not? 
I would, but that's a whole separate separate class that you have to go through. Yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always fascinated with uh, guitar luthiers and and, mm-hmm. and the work they do. I think it's so cool. Yep. So you you did that, um, got that degree. Now the work that you're doing today um, is it is it similar or related, or is it totally different? It's it's totally different. Now I work uh, alongside the hospice program here in Washington State, providing medical equipment to clients who are transitioning onto hospice. Okay, so wow. it's very in the medical field. Yeah, important work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the big thing that we we're gonna you know talk about today, which ties into your you know sort of your identity you put out on social media, which is how you and I originally connected. You created an Instagram handle called The Sober Hunter. Mm-hmm. And you shared your story through some of that imagery um, on how alcohol was a huge part of your life and you one day, you know, uh, change, change that. So you created uh, this this Instagram profile called The Sober Hunter, where you talk about your journey out of a life that was very centered on alcohol um, to to one that is that's now focused on hunting. But I guess I'd like to just step back into into those, you know, sort of the background of of your your former life. You know, so what. Now, what age did you start drinking? So I started drinking around the age of 22. Um, backstory on that. I was adopted as a child, and I grew up knowing from a young age that my biological mom and dad were both uh, heavy drug users and alcoholics. And my mom was using while I was, you know, inside. So I grew up knowing I had a propensity for drug and alcohol abuse. Um, So up until this point, I had said, oh, no, no, I don't want to mess around with that. I'll probably get caught up into it. And I remember making a very distinct decision. I remember my first drink of my attitude was, well, they're wrong. That's not me. That's not going to be me. So I ended up taking my first drink at a party. and. I felt really disappointed in myself. And the next day I remember thinking, oh man, do I, am I an addict now? Do I need alcohol? And at that point it didn't happen overnight. I was, oh, they were wrong. I'm fine. You know, um, until I wasn't. And Mm -hmm. I kept over the years, like it was like a slow boil. I just kept consuming more and getting more caught up in drinking to the point that everything was kind of centered around it. I wouldn't want to go do things unless there was a bar close by or someone had, you know, a cooler of beer for me to drink with. So looking back now, it definitely limited the amount of things that I enjoyed doing. Um, Cause I just started to consume so much alcohol. It would pull me away. I, I used to enjoy camping and being outdoorsy. Um, and then the more I drink, drank, the more that took me away from who I enjoyed being. Why, why do you think you, why did you feel compelled to take that first drink? Was it curiosity? Was it what? It was curiosity, uh, rebellion. I'd grown up hearing that 
oh, if you drink, you're going to, this is what you're going to turn into. And so it was a little bit of like, well, I'll show you kind of attitude. And it just led down a long road of bad drinking habits. So you were, I mean, when you said 22, and that's what I was going to be curious about, because I think of, um, you know, a lot of people I know who had problems with alcohol, they started drinking at a young age, you know, Mm -hmm. at 12, at 14. Uh, But you were, you're a a young adult, and you you made made that conscious decision. How, How old are you now? I am 33. 33. Okay. So you start drinking, it becomes a problem. Is beer your, your alcohol of choice or do you get into hard liquor or what? Um, beer and hard liquor. Um, yeah. And I, when I started drinking, I used to be able to, you know, have a glass of wine or have a beer and just hang out. And it wasn't a problem. It was not like one big rock bottom moment for me. It was a lot of little moments that led up to, wow, I am kind of destroying my life here. What are the, what are, you know, I guess those, those little moments, do you have an example, like one that was on your mind when you stopped drinking? Yeah. Um, like I, I continue to drink until the point that I was blacking out on a regular basis. And so I would wake up hungover, not remembering the night or day before. And I was ashamed. I would start fights in bars uh, early on in my marriage. I was coming home drunk, like two or three in the morning. So my wife was always on edge. She didn't know who she was going to get. Was it going to be the man she married or was it going to be drunk John who liked to start arguments? Uh, so like a lot of those moments uh, that just build up. And you, it wasn't like I was unaware There was something inside of me that knew how I was living was wrong, but just didn't ever want to take, take that step of giving it up. So did you, when did you and your wife meet and, and, um, was, was she part of that, part of that culture of, of your drinking or was it two separate lives or, or what? She, so we met when I was 20 or so and we dated for a while. So she was kind of along for that journey of me starting to drink, um, starting to have a problem. And then, you know, farther down the road, having a real big problem where I was out of control. So she was, she was around it. Yeah. Did you, um, now you have kids, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, how old are they? And and they were part of, part of that. Yep. So my son, Jackson, who is five, um, and I have a daughter Sage and she's four months old. Um, so Jackson's really the one that's been a part of it. Um, but I, for the most part, kept my drinking and being out of control separate from him. He never really witnessed me, um, go off the rails. Uh, until the very last time that I drank. And that's kind of like how it affected me so much that he witnessed me lose control. And that's kind of the catalyst that propelled me to stop drinking. So you had, um, 
it was it was building up over time, but there was a, a an, an experience. There was a situation where you lost yep. control, where you said, "I can't do this anymore." Yep. Yep. And um, you did it. You just sort of made the decision on your own, or you went into a program, or or what? So the last time I drank uh, was July twenty second of twenty twenty. Um, I just wanted to have one drink and I had way too many and ended up blacking out and starting a fight with, um, a family member that was over. And the thing that bothered me so much about this incident was my son was right there just watching me get in this fight, break stuff. You know, I was just a mess. And I came to you the next morning and I just knew, I knew that it was time to change because if I didn't, I was going to lose my marriage. I was going to lose my kids and I just wasn't who I wanted to be. I'd wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, oh, you're, you're such a loser. And that's kind of the, the rhetoric that I would tell myself. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, uh, obviously, yeah, not something anybody could sustain long-term, that that's mm-hmm. uh, r- really the definition of self-destruction. Um, so you made, so you like that next morning, that was, so that was, that was the last drink, the 22nd yep. of July of 2020. Yep. Um, so not that long ago. No, no. About a year and four months uh, yeah. as of yesterday. Wow. Wow. Um, so that next day you wake up. You got all those emotions. How do you have the fortitude to make a change like that? Because I mean, wow! I mean, that's that's got to be tough. And I guess, do you look at it as you know, from you know, do you look at that from the standpoint of a of a of a psychological versus a physical addiction? And 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 did you do you recognize like what it was? Do you have that? you know, especially given your genetics and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you look at that? Up until that point, I had treated my drinking like the attitude of, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm in charge of my life. And over time building up to that, I kind of knew, you know, inside that I have a problem, but I didn't want to admit that. And so I'd, make promises and I'd break promises. Oh, I don't do this a lot. You know, I'd tell people that I, I don't drink like this a lot, just a little bit, but it was way more than a little bit. So I had known, and I kind of had told myself, if you black out again, you need to go to treatment, stop drinking, whatever you need to do to get right. And so I blacked out, caused this fight and came to the next morning and I just remember sitting downstairs Googling, am I an alcoholic or how to give up alcohol? Wow. And I just took those first steps. Um, yeah, I, I started drinking juice, uh, going on walks with the dog in the morning. Um, in my mind, it was like, I need to distract myself from the urge to drink and I need to get healthy. Cause at this point, I was very unhealthy physically and mentally. So I can imagine, I mean, is that a part of when you Google, am I an alcoholic? 
um, I, I can just imagine all the things that come up and there's obviously so many great institutions, programs, et cetera, as well as I'm sure in this day and age, a lot of people just sort of self-help and different theories. I would mm-hmm. presume is a, a, you just used the word distraction. That was going to be one of my questions for you. Um, is that a common element of, of most of those things of you need to replace, if you remove the alcohol from your life, you need to replace it with something? Uh, personally, I would say so. For me, it really helped having something to kind of pivot to. And it wasn't that unnatural for me to go, well, I love the outdoors before drinking. Um, I'll head back out there. But it's probably not an uncommon thing for people dealing with addiction. So you started, I mean, you're looking at, so you're taking walks, which obviously a a great example of physical activity that affects you and helps you health-wise on every level, spiritually, mentally, physically, Mm -hmm. I think. You talk about juices. I mean, did you like, I I mean, are you talking like you bought a juicer and we're doing? I'm talking, I I started drinking V8, um, stuff like that, took like multivitamins. I just had this urge to kind of purge any alcohol that was left in me. And it wasn't like a fun coming off of alcohol. You're irritable. Um, I had cold sweats. I had really vivid like nightmares um, where I'd wake up thinking I drank again. Um, So dealing with that, you're kind of on edge. So I was just trying to get healthy and have my body get to the point where it would take over and start filtering everything out like a reset. Yeah, yeah. That must have been tough. It it definitely was. And um, so you're starting. You're you're working to to get yourself healthy. You're working to purge purge that alcohol from your system, and you know, I guess clean, clean, do a cleanse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you start walking. When did, when did you start? I mean, at this point, are you, are you doing any hunting? Have you ever hunted really? So the year before I went hunting with my, well, the two, two years prior to that, I went to deer camp with my uncle and cousin where they go. I was invited. Um, and I didn't really treat it like a hunting trip. I treated it more like I'm on vacation. Yep. I'm going to, go there. I'm going to drink, wake up late, hungover, maybe go for a walk with the gun. You know, I wasn't really hunting. I wasn't learning or growing. Um, so at that point I hadn't really done hunting. Um, and when I stopped drinking, it was two weeks before, uh, fall bear season started here in Washington, uh, August 1st. And so in my mind, I kind of opened the rags and went, well, what's, what's next that I could, you know, go after? Cause I had wanted to hunt and I thought maybe this was a good way of, you know, be distracting myself from wanting alcohol, getting outside, fresh air, exercising. Cause I'd be walking around in the woods. So I really didn't know what I was doing, but I just picked a spot and went. And so, and that was bear hunting? Yep. Wow. You dive into into the deep end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because 
I think the only bear I'd seen up to that point in my life was a bear getting into our garbage. <laughs> and so I went out in the woods not knowing anything. But getting back out into nature and learning to hunt, it really gave me that moment of silence and time to myself to kind of process this is what happened. This is what you need to deal with. There's a lot of internal dialogue that needs to go on, um, especially when you've been numbing hard situations or hard emotions for so long. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about the aspect of, of solitude in hunting a lot this last year and the benefits and the difficulties of that. I actually, I actually reached out recently. I'm going to have on the podcast here, I think in February, a gentleman who's a college, a college uh, philosophy professor who wrote a book on solitude. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. And, and I think it's one of those aspects of the hunt that I think has real benefits. And I think also has real challenges because I think in today's society, um, there's so little solitude and there's so little quiet. And I think that can be intimidating for many people. And I think some people, when, when, if given that opportunity to truly have that quiet, I think will get scared. <laughs> what, yeah. I mean, so how would you describe that? I mean, did you have moments like that? I mean, for you, like you said, you, you went for years of, of numbing yourself with alcohol now you go out into situations where you're going to be alone with your thoughts and feelings in this solitude, and that's raw. That's real. There's no there's no hiding from yourself with that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, it was terrifying. Um, going out in the woods by yourself, having the thoughts. At that point, I had had really low self-esteem. Um, I was really unsure of who I was. So sitting out on the hillside, really, like you just said, makes you face yourself almost to the point that you're relearning who you are because you've had such a shift in dynamics. Um, and alcohol was such a big part of who I was. Um, at that point. So taking that away, it was, it felt like losing a close friend. And I questioned myself, like, am I still fun anymore? Is stuff still fun to do without alcohol? Cause almost every aspect of my life centered around alcohol. Wow. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so that was, that was just last fall, like, like a year ago, right? When you were, mm-hmm. when you were bear hunting Yep. a little, little over a year ago. Um, so you just went out by yourself, sort of didn't didn't really have have a have a mentor, if you will, or or did you go out with your uncle and your cousin or I just asked my uncle if I wanted to find a bear, where would you look? So he said there's berry patches over here. I would walk in here and see what you find. So I've so is it is it like here in Minnesota, um, bear honey is pretty much uh, you're baiting for them because with the thick woods and just the the nature of the terrain, et cetera. I know in other areas of the country there's more of a spot and stock strategy. Um, what, what's what what is the method in in Washington? What what did you uh, go uh, how did you approach it? So I approach it. So there's no 
baiting allowed here in Washington state and no hound hunting. Um, so we do the spot and stock or like my uncle said, find berries and sit on the berry patch. Like it's a bait. Yeah. And so he, your uncle gives you some, some, uh, some ideas and, um, what, uh, what happens? Uh, I went out. I like literally the first half hour I walk into this berry patch. I find fresh bear poop, a younger bear startles and runs up the hill. And at that point I'm just, I was excited cause I actually found a bear, but I was terrified cause I didn't know anything about bears. So like a Tweety bird was in the bushes and I was like, Oh, Oh, is that a bear too? So I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a f- real fun experience. And that kind of helped build my self-esteem because I could prove that I could go into uncomfortable situations and have success, even though it was minor. I didn't shoot a bear, but I saw one. I found, you know, it's scat. So just little steps like that helped me keep going. Yeah. So you, I'm presuming, yeah, you didn't, you didn't harvest bear. You didn't I, kill bear? I didn't harvest a bear that year. Okay. Okay. So at this point, you're sort of, you're sort of liking the hunting thing. Are you, are you realizing that this can be a good vehicle to fill some of that void and to help you in, in the, in the process of, of, of moving on beyond the alcohol? Absolutely. So about a month into my sobriety, I'd been going out two or three days a week, hiking around, looking for bears, kind of learning how to be in the woods comfortably. Um, so yeah, it, it really showed me that, A, I'm getting healthy. Mentally, I'm feeling better. Physically, I'm doing a lot better because my body's pushing out all the toxins. Um, breathing fresh air, you know, just getting exercise. So in my mind, I'm like, well, I need to keep doing this because this is, it's like two birds, one stone. I'm hunting and learning something that I've wanted to learn. And I'm also staying sober and becoming healthy. So do you then look at other types of hunting? Did you do any other hunting last fall or uh, was that it? I did. I took a week off and I went deer hunting at my uncle and cousin's deer camp. And I actually hunted really hard. I stayed out all day and I actually saw deer. They weren't legal. They were two points. Um, but I started seeing deer and my uncle was like, that's, that's the first step is you're understanding how to go through the woods and you're seeing animals. So what is your, the area you were hunting? Uh, so it was a two pointer. So it, in every area, region, regionally, there's different uh, terminology. So we would call it a spike, which would be two or a four corned would be, would, you know. So it would be, be, it would be here. It'd be a four corned. Okay. Gotcha. And then there's a three point minimum on, on our bucks here. Gotcha. And is that, that's legal requirement or that's self-imposed by your camp? That's legal requirement. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Great. So you're seeing animals. Uh, did you at deer camp? Um, was there alcohol there, and was that was that a tough situation? 
Um, there was alcohol there. Um, but my family supports me. So there wasn't like, it was in the shelf. No one drank around me. No one offered me a drink. So it wasn't that dynamic. And for the most part, when I'd go to these things, I was the one that was like, Oh, you guys need to drink. What are you, what are we doing here? So it was usually me that was bringing the, bringing up the alcohol. So, so that wasn't, wasn't a problem in, in, in camp. And obviously, yeah, they had the respect and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and wanted you, I'm guessing wanted you to really get into this hunting thing, right? Yeah. Yep. My, my cousin and my uncle are probably my biggest proponents on learning to hunt and pursuing that path. And is this a cousin that you moved uh, to central Washington to be near? It, it is. It is. And, yep. and his, his father, your uncle or, yep. or his okay, father. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you, you've now gone from, from going bear hunting and, and, and bumping a, a smaller bear. You've gone out deer hunting. You've seen deer. Uh, any other hunting last fall? My cousin and I picked a spot on the map in Southern Washington and went fall turkey hunting together because we wanted to start a new tradition, just the two of us. And we actually found turkeys and ended up killing a turkey. Um, So that was, it was amazing because something you think about and obsess about for, you know, so long and don't have success when it finally happens, it's just an incredible feeling. Wow, that is that is awesome. Now, had had he turkey hunted before? Or was this new for for both of you? It was new for him too. Okay, so fall turkey hunt different from a spring turkey hunt. Um, did you guys go this last spring turkey hunting too, or did you just do the fall? We did. We went. We went together and had like a turkey camp uh, together, and that was a blast. Saw turkeys, didn't actually shoot one, um, and then we didn't get out this fall. Okay. Um, just with life and work. So that ha- it happens. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, big question. Have you eaten that Turkey yet? Or we are two days away from Thanksgiving. Did you by any chance save it? I did not save it. I I've eaten it all. Um, <laughs> we raised some turkeys this last year, just here on our property. And so we'll be eating some of them, uh, for Thanksgiving. Great. Very cool. Very cool. So, Turkey hunting, deer hunting, bear hunting—that's um, that's great. What um, you know? What did you, you didn't get out turkey hunting this fall? But did you get out doing some some other other types of hunting? Yep, I went on a deer hunt with a good friend, and we kind of backpacked out into the wilderness. Uh, didn't end up seeing a deer or a bear. Um, I've gone grouse hunting here in Central Washington. Uh, we have a lot of game birds, so like chucker is a big thing here. Um, pheasant, we have pheasant release sites around the state, so I've done a little bit of that. Have you had uh, had any, any success uh, with the upland birds? I have. Um, I've gotten a couple lucky shots. I've realized that I am not the best shot and need to practice that. But uh, we've gotten out, and it's a blast. Yeah, shooting uh, birds on the wing is uh, it's a challenging thing. It's, uh, getting mm-hmm. getting practice in is important. It really is. It really is. <laughs> so 
you're now, you know, a year and a half in, into this into this journey of really sort of redefining um, your life. You know, how how would you characterize it today in terms of of the? Um, do you still have tough situations with the draw of alcohol, or do you feel like you're you you feel solid on that front? And and how does hunting fit into fit into your life? So to answer your first questions, I do, I still get cravings. I'll get triggers where depending on it, say someone's drinking a beer or I smell a beer for me, uh, orange juice is a trigger. Like if I smell orange juice, just cause that's what I used to mix my drinks with. So there are moments where I'm like, ah, I'm craving alcohol. And I just, I'm real honest with my cousin. So I'll say, Hey, can we talk? So he's kind of my support system, um, in not drinking. So I'm just kind of self-aware of my own draws and propensity towards alcohol. Um, I'm sure that's, that's key to have your, your cousin there as your support network. Do you, um, do you have, are there friends from your drinking life that, uh, you are still friends with, or did, did that change? I am still friends with most of the people that I used to drink with. Um, the ones that who, the people who didn't support me or couldn't get behind me drinking, I've definitely left behind, but for the most part, my core friend group all supports me not drinking, um, all supports me living this life that I'm living now. Um, cause they saw how sick and out of control I was back then. It really gives you an opportunity to sort of parse out and determine who the real friends are, I bet. Oh, absolutely. It really does. And coming into sobriety and coming into like the hunting arena, um, I found a lot of support and friends through social media, through uh, sober Instagram pages through hunting, you know, profiles and made friends that way as well. Do you think, you know, do you think you would have been able to quit drinking without having something like, like hunting to be that distraction, to be that new engagement? That's an interesting question. Um, I think for me personally, it would have been a lot harder because it really, it propelled me into wanting to go farther. Like that year after, or that season after deer season where I was seeing animals, that just made me more excited for the next season. And so I would go, well, what do I need to do next year to be better? What, how can I prepare? And it just kind of snowballed into keep the momentum moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, what have you found? Um, what have you found to be some of the big, biggest challenges in starting to hunt as an adult, and and not having you know having it be something you grew up with? When I went out to go hunting, growing up, I didn't have a concept of public lands. So in my mind as a kid, I was like, well, people just have their spots that they go and that's, you know, their spots. 
now understanding um, public lands and the way all that works, that I can go myself, find these spots and go out onto them and hunt, uh, really changed the way that I approached um, learning to hunt. So the first thing I did was download a mapping system so I could tell where, you know, public lands, p- private lands. So that was a big hurdle is finding the places to go. And then the second biggest hurdle is just going out there, not knowing anything. So I'd go out there and kind of bumble my way through and go, well, I saw something. So I must be, you know, doing okay. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So so that, that's been like a big learning curve is I didn't grow up with a, you know, a family who hunted. So I wasn't a woodsman. So it's really been kind of developing that. I understand the woods. I understand what this animal likes and what it's going to do. You know, that sort of stuff has been the biggest hurdle. Yeah. What are are the greatest joys you found? The greatest joys for me, honestly, is getting to pass on what I'm learning to my family. So my son, my nephew, and my cousin, we do a grouse camp where the kids come along and it's real fun. And we shot a couple grouse and we showed them to the kids. Well, this is where your food comes from. An animal somewhere is part of the process of the things you're eating. And so just being able to show them life and death and, you know, if you work hard for it, you can be successful and have this too. So just the overall process and tradition that I get to pass on to my kids is really probably the biggest joy. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, I've, I've got uh, young kids myself and, and that's a, a, a very important part of it. Um, you know, when, when I think about um, when I first saw your Instagram account, which I encourage everybody to go check out, thus underscore sober underscore hunter, right? Thus mm-hmm. over hunter. Yep, that's correct. Um, you're, you're just very open with with um with your with your story and you i i think of the one side-by-side image you did you did of you during your drinking years and you now as a new hunter and that's powerful powerful imagery and i would imagine for you is 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 um I'm sure it's filled with a lot of emotion <laughs> as mm-hmm. to what that represents. Um, and, and that's, it can't be easy in some respects, but why, I guess, so my question to you is why did you create the sober hunter profile? What was the, what was the reason for doing it? So I created the sober hunter profile early on um, when I started getting sober um, in an attempt to have accountability, I posted on my Facebook, on my Instagram profile. I needed a lot of accountability. And if by sharing my journey a hundred percent and having a lot of people know that I'm sober, I'm trying to stay sober. I would be 
that much less likely to mess up and, you know, relapse and have a drink because not only is my family and, you know, my support system watching me, but, you know, a lot of other strangers online that are rooting for me (laughs) will have to see me fall too. So I really did it as more of a help for me and just to share that you don't have to have a big rock bottom moment. You can choose to separate from alcohol over any smaller moments. It doesn't need to get to the point where you're arrested or you get a DUI. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, John, um, I appreciate you sharing your story with, uh, with us. Uh, it's powerful. Um, it's obviously very personal for you, but I think it's something that, that, um, that's, that's wonderful for, for you to share with people. And I, and I thank you for that. And, uh, again, encourage anyone to go out and check out on Instagram. Do you have it? Do you, are you on any other social media or is it pretty much Instagram? Uh, Pretty much Instagram. Okay. So the John Norman, the sober hunter on, on Instagram, check them out and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to stay in touch here and we'll, we'll have you on again uh, as you continue down this, down this path and we'll keep you accountable. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the modern carnivore podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.